Hi, I'm author Simon Higgins, and I'm looking forward to discussing my law enforcement background, journey as a writer, process as an author, and of course my new book, Dragons of Dusk and Dawn, with Australian book lovers. Once upon a time, welcome to Australian Book Lovers, your destination for imagination. A big warm welcome to everyone and a huge thank you for joining us for the Australian Book Lovers podcast. Our mission, of course, is to bring fabulous Australian and Indigenous literature that spans a whole range of genres to book lovers all around the globe, as well as fantastic resources and information for passionate authors looking to write their next bestseller. I am Darren Kesenko, dystopian, sci-fi and horror author, avid reader and one of your hosts and co-founders of Australian Book Lovers, coming to you today from a slightly injured Ghana country. (laughs) And I'm Veronica Strachan, a.k.a. V.E. Patton. Fantasy, sci-fi, memoir, and picture book writer. Voracious reader of many genres and your other co-founder and host coming to you today from an absolutely delightful 20-degree day in Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung country over here in Victoria. Yes, well, we always do have a little bit of a uh, moment to contemplate this uh, bizarre, unpredictable thing called weather. We went Indeed. from 25, then we had a 40-degree day. We had a lady <laughs> at the end of the street get her face bitten by a, what has oh, turned out to be a oh, point yes. uh, grey white, a great white, oh, or, was a well, great well, white. a white point, and not a, not a big one. So, wow. yes, my favourite little snorkel section. Uh, turns out you can get your head bitten by sharks there, and mm. uh, from 40 degrees back to yes, I would say a little bit of a balmy 20. So there we go. Maybe that says something about sudden hot days. Don't go swimming, but no. Don't, don't go swimming. Know. I don't no. know the shark's yeah. behaviour. Mm. Yes. Tricky. Very but, tricky. And I hope that lady is well. But yes, yes here we are. Yes, in absolutely. She's... Uh, Yes, that's good. But episode 99, yes, Shark Tales aside, <laughs> it is episode 99, which means we are one away from the champagne popping which we have uh, been leading up to for so very long so it has yes, been a while that's going to be looking good but in the meantime episode 99 absolutely um shall we jump straight into it would you like to yeah absolutely because uh, we have got a fabulous uh, interview with david cohen who he's got some fantastic names for his uh, novels which i'll talk about in a minute but in the meantime tell us about Number 99, I'm yes, sure you're see, going to. Yes, well, I, there I was just <laughs> blabbering over everything then. But yes, so a little bit about the number 99 to celebrate this episode. The number 99 apparently symbolises change and personal development. It mm-hmm. is uh, often, well, it's a meaning that uh, is supportive when you're going through a transformative phase in your life, like turning a new page in your story. Uh, the number suggests that you're on the verge of a significant decision or change in your life. There we are. Mm, well, we are on the verge of a significant event. Yes, um, absolutely. So, indeed, but, uh, and, yes, the number nine. And we won't even count how clo- you know horribly close we are to Christmas. But there you go. Absolutely, yes. We won't worry about the jingle bells. <laughs> no. <laughs> now, there's no bingo, of course, for night. There isn't. But I have got um, some words, of course, as we like to discuss words. So, uh, I thought I would give you the real words 
uh, to begin with. So this is from Otherwordly uh, by Yi Lamak and Kelsey Garrity, illustrated by Kelsey Garrity Riley. So these are words that are not necessarily everyday and uh, in sometimes languages other than English, but they're really interesting. So do you know what a nemophilist is? Hmm. Well, the first thing that pops into my mind is a feisty Nemo, which that lady <laughs> could have used on her side the other day. At the end of the show. Well, we're, but, we're still on the, no. on the fish side, aren't we? Yeah. But no, N-E-M-O-P-H-I-L-I-S-T. So, yeah, uh, fighting Nemo. But it is, in fact, an English noun, and it is a haunter of the woods, one who loves the forest and its beauty and solitude. Oh, okay. One of those yes, things I reckon I'm a bit of an... Yeah, I reckon I'm a bit of a nemophilist because I do love the, you know, we, we wouldn't call them the woods here, we, we'd call them the, the forest or the, the bush here uh, in Australia. But, you know, I, there is something about going out into the bush and stepping on the, the moist soil up there on, you know, Mount Macedo, Don Gabor, and just going, oh, thank goodness. Oh, I agree, agree with you calm, 100%. But mm, I, I mm. wouldn't uh, describe your adventures out there and... Uh, beautiful moments with nature as uh, haunting it though so because no, I, I was no. thinking of the headless horseman oh no but you know as a haunter of the woods you know i haunt the woods so yeah no no headless horseman so you automatically went to the the, the horror side of i don't it. know that's the, <laughs> that the word haunting not me <laughs> all right here's another one for you also english and also to do with trees but have you heard of a scythe uh, have you heard of scytherism now i'm going to spell that because i've probably pronounced it incorrectly p-s-i-t-h-u-r-i-s-m scytherism no no i'm no, not even going to hazard no, a guess no no it's the sound of the wind through the trees oh okay so rather than sighing which is always difficult to spell it's you know the s-o-u-g-h sighing through the trees scytherism Scytherism is the sound of wind through the trees. Probably not one that I would use I as say, much as perhaps a Nemophilus, but, you know, I, I'm going to go Silas. Anyway, all right. Now, I've got an Icelandic noun for you, and I am most definitely going to pronounce this incorrectly because uh, some of the alphabet um, in Icelandic is a little different. So, radljost, R-A-D-L-J-O with an acute accent, S-T. I love this one, though. Have you heard of a radljost, a noun in Icelandic? No. Starting to think of vodka now, Icelandic yeah. vodka. <laughs> no, no, no. This is enough light to find your way by. Oh, okay. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah, I like that. And I guess that, you know, radljost, radiology, you know, radioisotopes, whatever. Anyway, that's what I was thinking. But yeah, enough light to find your way by. So those are beautiful actual words. And I've got three little unactual words which were made up by the lovely John Koenig in the Dictionary of Obscure Sorrows. And I thought that given that we've had a little bit of a break, I'm flicking the book here, so sorry about the sound, that I would go to the section which is Boats Against the Current. So it was kind of, I guess, there's that fish, that sea thing again, isn't it? It is. All right. Cater is a noun, a random image from your distant past that leaps back into your attention. That doesn't mean much of anything, but is somehow able to keep you fighting against the current, swimming back and forth in your mind, still developing. 
So it's after a species of salmon, and I'm not even going to try and pronounce the salmon's name, uh, but they basically they run upstream to spawn every year, leaping back to the place they were born. They're not worth much commercially, but the Keters don't know that. Uh, when we look back on our lives, it's not just the moments that we remember, not the grand gestures and the catered ceremonies or the world we capture poised and smiling in photos. It's the little things, the minutes, the cheap raw material of ordinary time. There you go, cater. Hmm. I An mean, image from your distant past, yeah. Yes, yeah, so I've, I've got many images from a distant past. Uh, sorry, my distant past that uh, definitely gets the mind racing at 2, 3 in the morning. Some yes. of them for, that seem innocuous <laughs> and yet uh, leave me uh, red-faced even there in the dark. Yeah, interesting, isn't it? Hmm. I, I'm reading, uh, listening to Ready Player One uh, at the moment and, of course, a lot of what they talk about was... Uh, the stuff in the 80s and, you know, games in the 80s and pop culture and that kind of thing. And uh, lots of those have been flickering back and forth in my mind as I've started reading. So there you go. Um, Cater, I can say that's Cater. Word number two is enterhood. So this is the set of living people who've known you all your life, all the way back to your infancy. Before you had a clue who you were, a group that slowly shrinks as you get older until the point when all of your closest confidants have only ever seen an abridged version of you, having joined your story somewhere in the middle of things, just as you did, from enter, entire, and hood. I quite like that idea. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah enter hood. People have known you all your life. Because it is, you know, and I like the thought of being an abridged version, people that you meet later on. Okay, the final word of uh, John Koenig's is an adjective, pithed, P-I-T-H-E-R-E-D, pithed. Pither? Yeah, pither, which is to dig lightly, pronounced pithered. Okay, it's frustrated that you can't force yourself to remember something, even though it's right on the tip of your tongue, wishing you could simply rifle through your own files directly rather than having to toss random scraps to your team of mental archivists who evidently need hours to sift through the pile before they come up with an answer just as you're falling asleep. Hmm. That uh, probably hits a little bit too close to home these last couple of weeks, uh, I think. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Due to a lack of sleep, yes. Uh, yeah, lack defi- of sleep. Definitely yeah. need the uh, folic cabinets working at a higher rate. Yes, th- those uh, mental archivists, they mm. need to get busy and, you know, perhaps put in the Dewey Decimal System or, you know, something to, you know, get themselves organised to organise your thoughts. So there you are, six lovely words to add to your vocabulary. See, I can't even say the word, to add to your vocabulary. Yes. uh, And try and use at least one of them in a sentence in the next couple of days. Well, I'm not going to try right now, but I can say that um, I I definitely uh, agree that it's a cool thing to remember the sound of the 80s arcade or stuff coming back <laughs> but so i don't I, I definitely miss that but i don't miss the uh, dewey decimal system from the <laughs> oh, 80s really? no. <laughs> um, oh, but, there you go. but actually what i might do is very impromptu because mm. we're live so mm-hmm. i recently had to get away for a little bit and in a second-hand shop on the central coast of new south wales there in the lovely the entrance so shout out to new south wales there Speaking, Mm -hmm. uh, because you just mentioned Arcade and uh, those distant memories, Mm -hmm. I found a tiny little mini version of Gallagher. Now, I do obviously have the the big Gallagher machine, (laughs) but I have this little one. And the reason I grabbed it is because the sounds are authentic. The the graphics are ridiculous, (laughs) but the sounds are authentic. So, without further ado, I'm just going to reach behind me and get it. 
So we're in a first for the Australian book lovers, uh, going with words and talk about distant memories. I'm going to turn it on and see if anybody remembers these wonderful sounds. Yes, there we go. But uh, Gallagher Arcade Games aside, would you like to know a little bit about the year 1999 in Australia? Tell me more. Actually, I was surprised. It's it's got a little bit of interesting stuff. I you know I know that I was uh, guilty of declaring the nineties a little bit boring, except for of course all the fun I had in my heavy metal days. Um, okay, <laughs> well for the very first time in nineteen ninety nine, high school graduates in New South Wales were able to find out their results on the internet. So ooh, in the future we go. Now here's something that. Uh, Seems funny now in our days of uh, Netflix and everything, and yet still plays a big part. Some would say even a big part in our elections. But media mogul Kerry Packer publicly endorses views, in back in 1999 of course, that the federal government should deregulate the media and abolish cross-media ownership rules, which stop Packer from taking over the Fairfax newspaper group, as well as calling <laughs> for foreign ownership restrictions to be lifted. Well, mm. uh, as a... Uh, we'll see, I don't know how many fans of the Murdoch group are out there, mm, um, mm. but we'll, uh, yeah, funny how we're looking back at that one. Uh, yeah. A massive hailstorm hit Sydney. Uh, most of the damage apparently was centred on the eastern suburbs. Now, the reason why I bring that up, of course, there's lots of massive hailstorms. At the time, it was the second most costliest natural disaster in Australian history, causing mm. $1.7 billion, with a B for Bravo, in insured damages. So, woohoo. Mm. A little closer to home here in Adelaide, not the best uh, event. However, eight decaying bodies were found in barrels in a disused bank vault north of Adelaide, marking the beginning of the Snowtown murders case, which were Australia's worst ever serial killings. More bodies were found underneath a house in Adelaide on the 26th of May. So, yes, uh, pretty pretty horrific. And, uh, yeah, that goes without saying. Mm. Just as horrific, I don't know what's worse, Snowtown murders or the fact that the GST bill was passed through the Senate on the 28th of June with the help of most of the Australian Democrats in exchange for exemptions on fresh food. So, crikey, so at some point they wanted to even class fresh food under the GST. They did. Uh, yeah, so, again, no comment. Uh, the, the, the murders and the GST both belong in that same paragraph, so I might just backspace that so there's no uh, indentation. <laughs> Now, the Commonwealth Director of Public Prosecutions decided to drop 28 fraud charges against former Senator Mal Colston after receiving not one, but two medical specialist reports, which both stated that Mr Colston was too ill to face trial, either then or in the future. Now, of course, the decision drew criticism from the federal opposition for its timing due to the fact that Mr Colson was well enough for vote in favour of the Telstra sale just the week before. I love those little com- those little uh, government stories. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they just do it right in front of you, don't they? They, they yeah. set fire to the bin, run away and say, I didn't do it. OK, on the 18th of August, the Supreme Court of Queensland ruled that uh, One Nation was improperly registered at the 1998 Queensland state election because it did not have the 500 members needed to register as a political party and the court also found that the registration was obtained by fraud and deception well didn't stop that anyway anytime sadly no i I think this is not a particularly good year could you move on to something good please well here this this one is very interesting uh, given the current climate that we are in 
the in 1999 the reserve bank announced an interest rate increase of 0.25 percent now that doesn't sound like news in as in itself however it was the first increase since 1994. Yeah. So that's uh, five years of nothing, and I think we've had how many in the last 12 months? Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, pretty, pretty yeah. far too many. Now, I guess um, it doesn't get much better, and this is, again, a really unique uh, little tidbit of trivia for 1999 based on what we've just gone through. Now, a referendum was held to help determine whether Australia should become a republic and whether a preamble is to be inserted into the Constitution, recognising the Aborigines as Australia's first people. The vote no to be a republic uh, scored 54%, and the basically on the preamble question, the vote no scored 60%. So while we acted surprised, I guess if I had known that, then it doesn't come as so much of a surprise. But uh, nonetheless, on a literary note, Murray Bale's novel Eucalyptus won the Moles Franklin Award. And as if things couldn't get any sadder, really, considering some of those uh, news events, on the 27th of November, 1999, the last ever episode of Hey Hey It's Saturday went to air. <laughs> so, but of course, uh, on, on a brighter note, mm. very quickly, uh, there were, the, the year 1999 in Australia and possibly worldwide, well, around the world, was quite a unique year because of Y2K and the fear that the ticking over yeah. of the clocks would uh, cause aeroplanes to fall out of the sky, computers to crash, hospital systems to break, all of those things. So, um, and I believe what well, we were going to be, Australia, I think, was pretty close to maybe yeah, one of the first countries to celebrate New Year's. So they'd be, mm, and mm. Uh, at the time I was living on the Gold Coast. So I was living in Palm Beach. And so I w- was celebrating on the beach at the time. And of course, over in down south, just over the border of New South Wales, in Kira Beach and Coolangatta, they were at an hour forward so at, at 11 o'clock my time on palm beach just uh two k's down the road in new south wales of course it turned midnight so yeah. i was watching waiting to see if all of cool and gather and kira all the lights <laughs> were going to go out and everything was going to happen and of course it didn't yeah. happen and then i knew that no. it was happy days so you know i, I got uh, pretty drunk that night because after all i was celebrating two years eve one one over <laughs> one border one over the other and celebrating not the demise of the end of the world but that is uh, uh, a little bit of 1999 in Australia, or should I say, that go. was a little bit of Australia in 1999. Indeed, indeed. And I was on that new year um, at, a, I'll just say, a major hospital in Victoria in Melbourne. I was, you know, the uh, the director at the time and all of my senior staff plus extra staff were on in case the deadly dreaded you know, Y2K bug struck our systems and we had people in surgery and all sorts of things. They, mm. You know, we prepared for Armageddon, really, uh, and it was, while it was great, it certainly upgraded a lot of computer systems. Yeah, it was... Well, I mean, for for people that weren't around at that time that might be listening to the podcast or may have been younger, I mean, it was a legitimate uh, concern because and it was a legitimate possible error in building the computer. Basically, it all came down to the uh, the clocks in building to the PC boards. Yes, that they'd only added, you know, not enough decimal places. So when it went 2000, 000, they thought the whole thing would just be fall over. Anyway, enough about that. I've got some really good news to share. Well, shall we jump to the news then? 
Yeah, well, let's bring it on. Yeah, because if it's really good news, then I, I think we should start <laughs> off a new segment with it because that one was a little bit dark. Well, let's go uh-huh. to some news. News, two items of news which are really exciting. The first one being that we have two new subscribers for the podcast. So thank you so much to Naomi Shippen, who is one of our favourite reviewers, authors and guests on the podcast. But she is supporting uh, the Australian Book Lovers podcast. So thank you, Naomi. You are keeping the lights on, which is brilliant. And also John and Kate. So that's an Oz USA alliance. Oh. And uh, yeah, so they have subscribed for us. So thank you so much, John and Kate, for thank subscribing. Thank you, John and Kate. Absolute legendary. Yeah. <laughs> I'll pretend to like gridiron now. <laughs> uh, so that that is fantastic. So if you would like to uh, subscribe and you can do... Uh, from as little as you know three dollars a month you can cancel any time but we really appreciate it because it helps us pay for um you know putting the podcast on and if one day we get you know lots of money which i find might be slim uh we'll certainly just be putting that back to uh, you know give it to prizes for people who are reading so two new subscribers is great news tasmania has it has become a city of literature which uh, UNESCO City of Literature, which is fantastic. Oh. So Melbourne was the only one, but now uh, Hobart is in as well. So congratulations go, go, go. to everybody down there. So Nibaluna is the name of the country where the city of Hobart sits, and they have become UNESCO's, a UNESCO City of Literature. So that's fantastic. Yeah, huge congratulations. So down in Palawa country. Yep, it's great. So Melbourne, lift your game, and uh, let's see if we can, you know, keep ourselves... Chugging along there. So speaking what have you got of, for us, Darren? Well, I was going to say, speaking of literature and uh, City mm. of Arts and all that sort of stuff, uh, mm. and those fantastic supporters of the podcast, but it got me thinking, like, you know how there's talk about, I don't know if it's true or not, but a lot of the art world is really money laundering. Um, oh. You know, hence why, you know, that squiggle on a piece of paper is suddenly worth $300 million. <laughs> but... Um, for any politicians out there, if you've got like a little bit of extra money that you're kind of sweating bullets about trying to explain where it came from, mm-hmm. maybe there's some sort of you can insure the money and then become a silent partner in ABL, throw mm-hmm. that money here, we'll give you back a percentage, <laughs> then we'll disappear, then you can claim insurance, get all your money back, uh. plus you've made money, and everybody's a winner. And uh, <laughs> you can call you, we'll call you a different name, we'll give you a pseudonym for when we say thank you on the podcast for that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 1.2 million uh, subscription. Wouldn't but, that be uh, lovely? But, you know, perhaps we'll have to look at Creative Australia. We're waiting for the, uh, that's the new, you know, policy that's putting more funding into the arts. So, see what we can do, Darren. But, yeah, I, I don't think the money laundering is going to win us any friends. Well, not, well, maybe I didn't word it right. I'll look into it further <laughs> for the, before the next episode and uh, I'll, I'll, give, I'll get a better prospectus for the for them better opportunity and I'll spell it out a bit easier so that it's a, so it's a no no brainer no lose uh, but no yeah. as far as yeah uh, news for episode 99 and uh, yeah so a quick bit of news from myself obviously we've had a bit of a uh, a pause in proceedings when it came to the episodes I did have a bit of mm-hmm. a bit of an injury that uh, mm. wasn't too pleasant well it's not it's not the end of the world that's for sure but it was just enough to just throw a spanner and things and caused me to become a grumpy bear for these last several weeks while I was trying to get things sorted out but uh that is almost on the mend so that's really good so very happy to be back in the seat doing episode 99 look forward to you 
know, racing through over the next week or two and catching up and bringing lots of really cool interviews and authors uh, to you all. And so, yeah, Mm -hmm. so again, thank you to everybody for all your continued support of the podcast. That's really fantastic. And lots of good wishes. And, yeah, thanks to everybody. Darren didn't always see the good wishes, but I've passed uh, along a few. Uh, But, yes, thank you to all the good wishes for um, for Darren's recovery. Yeah, it must have been when I was in my... um, oxycodone haze now I don't don't take any of those Uh, but uh, on on a little bit very quick bit of news um, you know I have mentioned previously obviously uh, in our short stories on the podcast there is now the uh, the audio feature so you can click on audio shorts and have a listen so mine is on there it's called photos for the sea probably not as short a short goes for about 42 minutes it's a bit of a dark tale but um, if you want to sit back and be uh, yeah be taken away to something a little bit dark there's that there but really what i wanted to talk about was the also we have soft toys a short story by avril drummond and narrated or shall i say uh read by none other than veronica stracken is <laughs> is also now under the uh audio shorts as well as a crusty one i did call the church but you can ignore that one uh but no the, uh, the the soft toys is a really really cool fun story and with a wicked little ending shall we say or uh, yes absolutely um, and now it's really easy. You can just go to short stories, so obviously australianbookclubs.com, short stories, click on audio shorts, and then you've got a couple options. You can just hit play and listen to it, or you can actually download. Now it does say single, download the single, just the player we're using, but you can download it if you wanted to pop it on a USB or a computer or listen to it for later or just keep it for um, for a rainy day. So there we go. Yep. That is our, my little news for 99, and uh, yep. yeah, more news and to come don't in 100. To- Follow up those authors that you have a listen to and check out their websites and think about, you know, uh, purchasing some of their longer books. But that's to give you a little taste of people's creativity. Yeah, definitely. uh, There'll be lots more audio coming shortly. Uh, But, yeah, there's a whole bunch of short stories on there now. And, and yeah, Mm. you're right, Veronica. It's a great way to just have a a sample snack bite of somebody's work. And at the end of every short story that you read by an author there is the ability to discover more of their works more about the author and uh, who knows you read that short story captivates you you know sends you till down your spine or puts a step and beautiful step in your heart and then you can just they may have four five ten novels that will send you on to you know you know that really cool feeling when you discover a new artist and suddenly they've got a whole library and you're like oh Mm. here we go 13 books, great, can't wait, let's get on. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so there we go, that is my news. I'm over and out for news. Excellent, excellent. Time for the Reader's Cafe. Oh, yeah, it's been a while, so let's do it. Well, we can talk about my reading first up, and uh, as uh, listeners will know, uh, my 2023 reading challenge is on Goodreads, and I put myself down for 125 books, because I do love to read and then listen, and I have them on the Kindle, and I have paperbacks as well. I'm up to 120 of 125, which is in fact 12 books ahead of schedule, and I'm going to blame doing a fair bit of gardening in the last few sunny days, because I've just had the... Uh, the books, you know, zapping away, chat, chat, chatting in my head, which has been fantastic. And so I'm not going to read all the ones since I uh, last 
spoke to everybody uh, but I will read a couple you know you just mentioned finding somebody with a back catalogue well I've just discovered that Tara Moss who writes crime and thrillers has uh, she's an Australian Canadian author has quite a uh, library of audiobooks so that's fantastic I've just started reading uh, her uh, McKady Vanderwall series which is excellent I've just done number three and oh, damn it but somebody borrowed number four so I've had to switch over to somebody else uh, I've read Ray Cairns who's another Australian uh, thriller writer so The Good Mother and Dying to Know and really delighted to say that I had uh, the opportunity to read an advanced reader copy of the final in the Black Birch series by ah. uh, K.M. Allen, which was just brilliant. Uh, was so much action and so much going on. So that is The Collector. So I've just finished that as well. And thank you to uh, Kate for some little uh, bits and pieces, uh, badges and postcards and bookmarks that came along with uh, in appreciation for reading the book. I did read some Matthew Riley and now, look, it's it's interesting and I think it, it was a little tricky that iStation, which is one of his more famous ones, I think, Shane Schofield, and one of my favourite uh, narrators, but there's one, there's one particular chapter where I think within a, a, a quite a short chapter, he may have written Hovercraft about 995 times. <laughs> so the, the, the poor narrator, what was his editor thinking? Because it, it kind of, it just was, it got to be a little bit hilarious. Um, so anybody who's read Ice Station, uh, you'll know the chapter that I mean. But, you know, still, it was quite a good story. Well, that's kind of the type of author he is, though, isn't it? I've, I've read a little yeah. bit. Of, oh, and, yeah. and you just Action straight in, it's and like... You know, yeah, yeah. the rock oh. fell, the this, that, this happened, that happened. Yeah, 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 yeah just go, go, go. Hovercraft for life, gun. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, landed on the side of the hovercraft and then the British hovercraft came here and then we went yeah. to the skirt of the hovercraft and then the door of the hovercraft and then the back of the hovercraft. I was like, oh, and my Lord, you really how don't How am I going to get again. off this hovercraft? Then, then the hovercraft <laughs> exactly. came to a halt. Exactly, and <laughs> the orange hovercraft to the plane. Yeah, <laughs> anyway, but no. I mean, I enjoyed the story, but that was a bit of a hilarious chapter. Uh, two more I just want to mention. One is Fourth Wing by Rebecca Yaris, and this is the... Empyrean, so it's a new um, fantasy series, and it's uh, there's a war in a college for dragon riders, uh, so it's yeah, fantastic. Really like that one, that was a new one because sometimes you hear these coming with hype, and you think, oh, yeah, maybe, but no, this one was really good. Uh, and the other one I read, which was interesting, was Nine Lives by Peter Swanson. Uh, eight perfect murders, um, nine strangers who get a really cryptic list with their names on it and then they all start to die. So that was mm, that was a bit interesting to listen to as well. So there you go. And I have just uh, been lucky enough to attend a workshop by um, run by Ween Thunga, who are an Indigenous uh, group who help uh, Victorian uh, health and community organisations uh, with the sort of inclusivity around Indigenous uh, culture and they recommended Amberlin Quayamolina's Living on Stolen Land which is a really short um, thin little book but which has some absolutely beautiful prose in it so I'm currently reading that and nearly finished I just did want to mention that one so thank you um, Living on Stolen Land borrowed that from the fabulous Goldfields Library Corporation we love our libraries there you go. That's my update on 
my reading. Excellent. But you what never took well before I uh, do some um, spotlights on some super duper cool books that have mm-hmm. been updated on the website. You never told me where your uh, cafe is. Where you having a coffee today? Oh, yeah, yeah. I forgot about the coffee. <laughs> well, I'd have to say outside because it is a beautiful day. I'm going to say outside, in, very similar to just outside my back door, where the, you know, as long as the chickens don't come up and try and get on the table while I'm having a little quiet sit. And the wooden chairs, a little bit uncomfortable, but enough to keep you awake and alert to have a chat, have your cuppa, and move on. What about you? Where are you sitting? Well, being that I'm in a somewhat cheeky mood as my energy levels are starting to come back and being mm-hmm. that the, uh, the the lady here on our dear beautiful Port Nalunga who had her face bitten is, is okay, uh, my cafe mm. is in the underwater theme park from Jaws 3, which was in 3D of course. <laughs> And uh, so I'm, so I can see all the sharks swimming across, and I'm just sitting back, and I'm having a tequila sunrise because you get a bit of a splash of grenadine on the top mm. on that one, a bit of red to sink down. So, but yeah, yeah there we go. But anyway, that's my cheeky part over. Uh, have to joke very about good. the sharks here because I've got to be in that mm. water very shortly. Yeah. Let okay. me please, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we've got some amazing new titles on the website, and I'm just going to have to catch up over these next couple of episodes but hopefully I can just spotlight a couple for you today mm. and uh, cover a couple of different genres so first I'm going to step in the fantasy genre now this is a little bit of a different fantasy couple of books here to start with because mm-hmm. it is by our super cool author Kevin Clure who's been an amazing guest several times on the show and co-host for some episodes mm. and this is part of his Drama Queen series so First, I'd like to spotlight drama queens and devilish schemes. So, Adam is dead, but that's not his only problem. His husband, <laughs> Wade... Isn't that just the most classic line? Yeah. I just love that. Oh, yeah, it's got you straight away, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Now, his husband, Wade, is still alive and sleeping with losers. There's another line that uh, yeah, just <laughs> grabs you. Now, his guardian angel, Guy, has grown fond of the liquor cabinet and Adam suspects his demise was the result of foul play. Meanwhile, in the depths of the afterlife, the devil forces Adam to put on a play for the sinners. If he fails to entertain them, Guy's parents will spend eternity in the underworld. As he gambles with the freedom of the damned angels, Adam comes to terms with infidelity, friendship, and the reason why he was the victim of a double murder. And that is Drama Queens and Devilish Schemes by Kevin Clare that you'll find under our fantasy genre. Now, if that one perked fancy and you have read the first couple or are going to embark on the first couple, the next one is Drama Queens and Adult Themes. So Adam's about to discover how much drama a midlife crisis can be. He's obsessed with Mannix, the nude model in his art class. But Adam has been married to Wade for nearly two decades and they don't have an open relationship. Little do they know that Fabian, a warlock from the afterlife, has secretly cast a spell of lust on Adam and his potential toy boy. As things begin to heat up, Adam's guardian angel, Guy, steps in. But what's the best way to save the relationship? Should Guy subdue Adam's wandering passions or instigate a steamy threesome? So definitely uh, would probably put that almost under a little bit of romance too, but that uh, definitely has the fantasy themes there, and that is drama queens and adult themes. Excellent. Now staying with fantasy and taking quite a bit of a turn, we are going into a book called Into the Other by Livian Gray. 
faced with imprisonment for murder, a young woman named Josie encounters a strange and malignant man known as Calder, who offers her a way out at a high price. She must give him her firstborn baby. Agreeing under duress, Josie later attempts to renege on the deal, but Calder eventually returns to take what he claims is rightfully his. Josie moves on, struggling to come to terms with Calder's machinations. Meanwhile, her child is raised by Calder on the boundary to another realm known as the Other, a beautiful but deadly place for those who are not from there. A twist of fate has Josie believing she may have bested Calder at last. However, he refuses to let her have her way when he returns to present her with a newer, more harrowing choice. Dun dun dun! <gasps> yes. Mm. So that is Into the Other by author Living Gray that you'll find under our fantasy. Yes, nothing, uh, nothing better than turning the screws and um, yeah, having one harrowing choice and then finding out you've got an even more harrowing choice to make just when you think you've uh, outsmarted somebody. So, yeah, indeed, absolutely. Yeah. Now, from author T. S. Simons, who has a number of books on our sci-fi genres. We have two books that I'd like to spotlight uh, under our science fiction genre. Now, these are part of the Latitude series. So, the first book I'm going to talk about is the 45th Parallel, which is the Latitude series book one. And once again, by that, sorry, once again, that is by the stupendously fantastic author T.S. Simons. So, would you abandon your destiny? Growing up on Lewis, Caitlin and Seraphine's lives are ordered and calculated. Immune children, they were created by the previous regime for the sole purpose of ensuring the survival of the human race. A virus has decimated the planet, and their destiny weighs heavily. With only a few surviving communities left on Earth, their role in resettling the world is critical. But what if you reject the purpose your existence is designed to address? The 45th Parallel begins the Latitude series and has been rated a reader's favourite five-star read and sci-fi award finalist. So Mm. there you go. You can't get better accolades than that for book one. Book two in the Latitude series is called Arenda. Now, what do you value above all else? Arenda is a First Nations Iroquois belief that all natural objects and people possess a mystical energy. It is the force that allows us to affect change in the world and manifest transformation. In this gripping sequel to the 45th parallel, Caitlin and her husband, Geo, travel to Canada to take on new roles as ambassadors for the ACC. Inclusive, intelligent and aware, Caitlin proves herself a natural leader. Respected by her people, she endeavours to bridge the gap between the communities, offering them new opportunities that will benefit generations to come. But as Caitlin and Geo build their new family, an old enemy resurfaces, threatening their newfound security. Loyalties are challenged, betrayal leads to unspeakable tragedy, and the ultimate act of revenge forces Caitlin to draw on her Arenda before it threatens to destroy them both. And that is Arenda, Latitude Series Book 2 by T.S. Simons. Which is fantastic. Now, because we've had... Another series by uh, Tia Simons. That's right. Which, yes, and it has been renamed because she picked up a publisher for it, a US publisher. So the Antipodes series, which was Tia Simons' earlier series and started with Antipodes and the liminal uh, space, uh, is now called 
project hemisphere, the space between infinity, which is formerly the Ouroboros, which is the, you know, the infinity snake eating itself, circle of protection, and cesrumnia. So she still has likes those really different words to describe different things. So uh, a great. So they've got new covers and new blurbs on the site. So have a look. And the Latitude series is her latest. So thank you to Tanya. Brilliant. Well, let's not uh, depart sci-fi just yet, uh, because we have a, uh, well, shall I say, a scorching title by the Ah, uh, spectacular author Melissa Ferguson, and that is the book Star Scorched Fingertips. A carnivorous vine on a planet infected with a human exodus cult forges psychic connections with Earth and bestows an unsuspecting group of women with the power to heal or destroy the remnants of humanity. Now, Star Scorched Fingertips is an ultimately hopeful eco-punk adult science fantasy that explores the future of humanity and our obligations to our planet of origin. So if Annihilation and Day of the Triffid met up with The Handmaid's Tale to traverse space while tripping on mushrooms, Star Scorched (laughs) Fingertips would be their queer, rebellious love child. There we go, and that is. I look, love it. <laughs> oh yes, yeah. I'm not going. I've already. I'm going to be honest. I've already purchased that one, so you know. Oh. <laughs> it's there, waiting in my to be read pile. Yeah. Thanks, Melissa. What a brilliant story. I was going to be honest, but I better not be honest because I, I can't tell you my uh, mushroom story of that happened a couple of weeks ago. And that was an act, <laughs> a kind of an accident. <laughs> um, right. Yeah, 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 okay. Fall into no. So that is um, no. star scorched mm-hmm. fingertips by Melissa Ferguson. Yes. And uh, under Beautiful. our size five. A quick little um, U-turn to go in a completely different direction. Quick little stop mm-hmm. to finish up the uh, spotlights on all these really cool titles. So thank you to all the authors for listing their books on the Australian Book Lovers podcast. Mm-hmm. Sorry, on the Australian Book Lovers website. But of course, we can't go past a new release by our, one of our favourite authors, Sandy Barker, who, yes. who features under our romance genre with her brand new title, Match Me If You Can. Mm. So Poppy Dean lives and breathes romance, in her job at least. As a matchmaker and an elite London agency, she spends her days finding the perfect Mr. Right for pretty much everybody but herself. When Tristan Fellows walks into the agency, Poppy knows she's in for a challenge. A typical bachelor, Tristan has no intention of falling in love, but in order to receive his £30 million inheritance, he must find himself a wife before his 35th birthday. This may be Poppy's hardest case yet, but even the most arrogant of men can sometimes warm a woman's heart. And who knows, maybe it's finally time for Poppy to find her happy ever after too. From the sunny skies of Greece to the trendy streets of London to the romantic hills of Scotland, Match Me If You Can is a laugh out loud, enemies to lovers romance guaranteed to make you believe in love again. That is Match Me If You Can by the romance professor Sandy Barker. <laughs> and that, the romance professor, I like yeah. that. I think Sandy will enjoy that as well. <laughs> and that is, uh, that, that's a bit of a spotlight on some of the fantastic titles that have been listed on the website. And plenty, as I mentioned, we're going to catch up on a few, so stay tuned. But yeah. otherwise, there we go. I would love to uh, know now about the guest because that's what the show's all about. Your indeed, fantastic indeed. interview that you had and uh, what yes. it was all about. 
So delighted to have a fabulous chat with David Cohen. Now, David has these brilliant books. Uh, we talk about The Terrible Event, which is his latest one, but he also has a novel called Fear of Tennis and Disappearing Off the Face of the Earth, as well as a whole lot of short stories. Uh, so I think without any more chat, let's launch into uh, my meeting with David Cohen. Welcome, book lovers. Delighted to say we have with us, from the far north of Australia only, uh, the fabulous author, David Cohen. Welcome, David. Thank you, Veronica. David, where are you? Where are you today? On whose traditional lands are you on? It's the uh, the terrible people, I, I believe, I'm pretty sure. It's in New, New Farm, Brisbane. Excellent. Yeah. And I'm down here on the much chillier Wadangeti country uh, down near the Macedon Ranges in Victoria. So it's fantastic that we have Zoom and all these things. You know, this is would be much more difficult to interview all the brilliant authors that we have from all around Australia if we had to all come to the Macedon Ranges. Much as we have, you know, good coffee and, and food down here, it would make it much trickier. <laughs> We, we've all got fairly, fairly comfortable, I think, with technology. Uh, yes, yes. Um, I think we have over the past few years. Yeah. yeah. All right. But we're here to talk about books and writing. And while we've had a lot of terrible events, your book, The Terrible Event, is – I absolutely love the cover. I've got to say, as a project and change manager and anybody who likes stationery, the Terrible Event cover is just fantastic. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty eye-catching, I'll say it, that. It is. It's absolutely yeah. spot on. So for anybody who hasn't seen it, it's like one of those little orange and yellow tags that you get asked to sign here or note this or do whatever. Uh, but, yes, the terrible event uh, is fantastic. So I'm going to start with uh, a little bit about David. He's the author of the novels Fear of Tennis and Disappearing of the Face of the Earth, and the short story collection The Hunter and Other Stories of Men, which won the 2019 Russell Prize for Humour Writing. His stories have appeared in Australian Book Review, The Big Issue, Griffith Review, Mianjin, Overland and elsewhere. And he lives in, as we've just said, up in uh, Brisbane, Australia. Now, when I look at your website, though, 1999 was your first short story that won a prize but how long have you been writing before that well i've i mean i've been writing um you know ever since i was pretty pretty young mm -hmm. <laughs> um yeah. as far as you know publishing um yeah. i think um from memory um the first thing i had published was probably just try to remember now might have been the early 90s or something mm -hmm. like that I remember I had a, a poem published in some in some kind of magazine, but um, after that I was focused on writing short stories. So I think yeah, I think it was around 1990, perhaps I had the f first short story published. So in, in a uh, reputable in a reputable yeah, <laughs> not not just yeah. in your own notebook or uh, yeah, That's right. those kind of things. Yeah, <laughs> David, in that time, you will have seen some changes in even you know if we just stick to short story writing. What have you seen that you think has, I guess, improved short story writing and publishing for the better? There's certainly, yeah, it's sort of 
gone up and down a bit. But uh, mm-hmm. I think there seems to be now, I, I, I feel, a really uh, a lot of interest in, in short stories. Mm. Um, you know, even though I guess a lot of the more kind of mainstream publishers are still not publishing a lot of short fiction. There's a lot of mm-hmm. uh, a lot of smaller independent publishers around. I mean, mm-hmm. like Transit Lounge, who've published my collection. Um, yeah. You know, they they have published quite a few short story collections, and you know, uh, there's there's now something called the Australian Short Story F- Festival, which mm-hmm. I think began a few years back. Which uh, you know, where short story writers from all around Australia and international internationally uh, can come together and you know discuss the, the short story form. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when I started out, though, there were probably there seemed to be more journals, magazines um, around publishing short short stories. I guess a mm. lot of those have since maybe disappeared, but now there are a lot more you know online publications. Yeah. Uh, available, so yeah, it seems to me that there's, despite everyone, <laughs> the, the, <laughs> the kind of general belief that uh, you know people aren't interested in short stories and uh, they don't want to read short stories collections. It seems to be, you know, there's a lot around, and from what I can see, there's there is quite a lot of interest in them. They're not really going away, are they? And I, I think no. I've read, uh, I remember reading in Stephen King's book on writing that you know he recommends the short story to hone your craft. Well, I suspect over several decades that you've been honing your craft, there are you know some things that you've learned about putting short stories together. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think when I started writing short stories, I guess like like most people, I was <laughs> very influenced by other other short story writers that I was reading at the time so I think mm-hmm. you know they were probably quite um quite derivative so you know it takes a while I guess to start to develop your own uh you know your own style or your own your own voice yeah but um yeah I mean I think I've 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 learnt that you know a short story is not just a short um you know, a short version of a of a novel or something like that. It's mm-hmm. very much a separate form. So you've got to be yeah. much more. I think I've learned just to be much more economical and not try and. It's more about what you leave it out a lot of the time rather than what you mm. what you put in. <laughs> mm, absolutely, we've been yeah. chatting with a a lot of authors from the Wilderness Society's children's literature uh, shortlist and. As you can imagine, you know, in, in a picture book, if you've only got 12 pages and you've only got a few words or they have to fit into a thought bubble, every word is is precious. And I think that that's what I enjoy about, uh, you know, reading short stories is that the ability to put a world or a snippet of time or a, an event into just a few hundred or thousand words is ah, it's, it's just amazing. Yeah, I mean, I, I always admire writers who can write those really compressed stories. You know, just a maybe just a couple of pages, or mm. you know, um, when I read uh, Peter Carey's short story, I think it's called the the Rose or the the Black Rose or something like that. But it's about mm-hmm. it's only around five hundred words, and uh, mm. I thought, you know, it's just and and yet the subject matter is some. You know, is a is a is uh, it deals with 
a major historical kind of um, uh, event, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And yet, it's much more powerful sometimes to read a very short story like that than to read a whole a whole book, you know, with all yeah. the details. Yes. It's just really yeah. kind of compressed into a short space. It could be much more powerful, I think. Yeah. When did you admit that you were a writer? <laughs> um, well, I, <laughs> I don't know if I've ever, um, yes, formally come out and ad- <laughs> admitted it. Um, yeah. But uh, I think, I, I guess I've always sort of seen myself as a as a writer, even mm-hmm. though I might not necessarily have been recognised as one by anyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, just you know, because I've always I've always written, despite what you know, all the other things that you've, I've done and. You know, I've never been a, a kind of a full-time writer or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I, I suppose certainly when I was, I, I guess when I, you know, published my first story, I thought, well, you know, that that's some kind of uh, <laughs> official official recognition official? Yes. that um, <laughs> I can act. You know, that I've written something that's considered good enough to be. Uh, you know, put in, in print and yeah. distributed among people beyond my immediate <laughs> family, family yeah, circle. Right. Yeah. You were um, out of the starting blocks, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I still look, I, I, I still uh, feel somewhat um, a certain reluctance, I guess, to, you know, mm-hmm. to go around saying you know, I'm a writer. Um, uh, and I don't know if that's just because of, you know, in Australia, I don't know if... Um, yeah. Uh, as opposed to perhaps certain other places, uh, the uh, the respect afford, afforded to writers is is that high. Um, a lot of yeah. people, when I if I say I'm a writer or you know I write fiction or whatever, it's, it's often or well, sometimes that is met with a kind of a blank stare, <laughs> um, <laughs> kind of an uncomprehending stare, or yes. you know, or what you know, what genre do you do you write? And I yeah. and I sort of struggle to to um, come up with an with an answer, but. Um, Yes, I. You know, it's um. Sometimes I just keep it to myself that I'm a writer, <laughs> depending on who. Yeah, who I happen to be you know, talking with. Yes, that's right. If you if you're in a group of writers, it's almost a relief to go. Oh yeah, hello. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm writer. Yeah, me too. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yes, it's like some kind of um. You know, support group where you can it, it is, come out it and is, confess that you're it? a writer. Yeah. yeah, because there is not a great many writers in Australia who can be supported fully by their writing. You know, even those who we might see their books at the airport many of them still have other jobs or you know do children's uh, uh, classes at school or you know teach this or that or the other so yeah it's it's a little difficult in australia to be saying that's what you are yes because i guess we often equate you know what what you do with you know how you how you make a living um, yeah that's right that's a very australian thing to do isn't it what do you do? Uh, yeah, what, what do you do? So, you know, yeah. if, if um, and yeah, as you say, very, not not many people can, uh, you know, make a living exclusively from, from writing. Yes, you tend to, there's a certain cr- cringe factor, I, I guess, yeah. of, about, uh, you know, saying that you are a writer. Well, you usually yeah. say, well, I, you know, I do this, but I, you know, I also write. Yes. <laughs> I do this to pay the rent. To pay the rent. Pay the I, rent. You know, write, yeah. That's right. Yeah. You write to keep your creative soul alive. Mm. Yeah. yeah. All right. Now, often the books you read as a child are a great influence. So tell us your favourite childhood book. Well, the one that I can, I guess the one that springs to mind is, a, is an Enid Blyton book 
called The Adventures of Binkle and Flip. That was a book about these these two rabbits who <laughs> get, get to all sorts of mischief. I, I yeah. can't remember exactly what age I was, but I, yeah. I've just been kind of started reading that to my own son who's is five and he's uh, he he loves it too which is uh, it's funny because it's yeah it's sort of um really is from another age and a lot of mm. the things that you know a lot of the content now you you couldn't really you couldn't really uh write a lot of the stuff or inc- talk about some of that stuff um yeah. <laughs> that, that is in there <laughs> yes. um so you've kind of got to I find myself explaining that you know this is is written a long time ago and some of the yeah. i guess some of the values or sentiments expressed there are no, you know, no longer really applicable. But um, yeah. you know, it's great. I, I always loved it. I read it over and over, or I had had it read to me, and I yeah. thought it was very funny. And um, so, I liked a lot of Enid Blyton books. She uh, did write a huge amount. She had a, a great library. I, the Folk of the Faraway Tree, of course, was um, one of my faves, yeah. and I yep. love the Secret Seven and the Famous Five, and. All of those, you know, ridiculous English adventures that they used to do on their school holidays. I mean, where were the parents in all of this, really? You wonder. <laughs> yeah, they were very much <laughs> in the background. <laughs> yeah, didn't get yes. much of a, a mention. Yeah. No, no, they did not. But it's children's adventures, isn't it, which is uh, important that they get to see that the yeah. whatever the four yeah. walls of their own house or their own garden are not the end of the world and there's other things out there. Yep, yeah. Yeah. From inspirations as a child to inspirations for this book, let's talk about the terrible event. But while you're thinking about your inspiration, I'm going to tell people what the blurb is. And here we go. A public memorial's name is changed to avoid any mention of the tragedy it has been set up to commemorate. Two attention-seeking activists campaign against exclusionary policies adopted by the gift shop at a suburban shopping mall. A customer service representative becomes obsessed with a colleague who has worked from home for so long nobody in the company remembers her. A middle-aged father loses his marriage and falls in love again with a cherished but damaged childhood toy. An academic's research into roadside memorials takes a peculiar turn. So David Cohen's sometimes bizarre yet pitch-perfect stories capture everyday horrors but are always shot through with a profound empathy and generosity. The terrible event delivers not just one terrible event, but many events of varying degrees of terribleness. Death, destruction, disappearance, decline, defeat, it has something for everyone. I love the, the, the woman that nobody is, remembers anymore because she's worked from home for so long. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, um, that's, that's kind of topical. Well, that's right. Yes, I guess um, it, it it is. I mean, I guess the whole... Yeah, as far as many workplaces go, that uh, the whole resonates with a lot. Yeah, 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 for yeah. sure. So, David, what inspired you to write? And look, each story, you know, obviously has a, a different thread. But what inspired mm-hmm. you to put these stories in together? I think, um, as with my previous collection, although although that was written over, those stories are written over a much longer period of time. Mm-hmm. These are written over. I guess a few years so it is I hope a bit more cohesive as far as a, a thread link, linking the stories goes but um yeah. I think you know I, I had these uh, I had a number of stories and I guess it's, it was a matter of um it's not that I didn't really think as I was writing them that you know there's going to be a 
collection of stories about terrible events as such. It was just, um, you know, when you put, put together a sh short story collection and you're looking for some way to, to, to pitch it, I, I, I guess, mm -hmm. some kind of what, o overarching um, theme or whatever for the stories, which I think makes it look a bit more attractive to a publisher and probably to potential readers is, you know, rather than just a bunch of random stories mm -hmm. it's good to have something that links them so i think as i was looking through them i i mean i had this the first story in the collection is called the terrible event so i guess i i it, it struck me that the other stories that i've included are also in one way or another <laughs> dealing mm -hmm. with with terrible events whether they be you know uh directly kind of obvious terrible events or more more indirect or you know metaphorically terrible or, or whatever mm -hmm. um i i just thought that was a good a good sort of hook to um you know hang, hang the stories on just a kind of interesting and hopefully arresting phrase mm -hmm. uh you know so yeah so you know um you might read them and and not immediately think there's a, a terrible event uh an apparent terrible event but that is that is basically the the the, uh, the thread, and there are there are some kind of recurring ideas and images in the stories, mm -hmm. but certainly they can yeah each one can be read independently. You know there there are others I had, but I I kind of uh, I, I ditched them because they didn't really fit in with this with this general general theme. Yeah, so I suppose it, it came really from the the first story, the terrible event. I, I tried to kind of fit fit the others around that idea. Mm -hmm. You said it took a few years to put these together, so there is what a couple of years of work and, and effort goes into gathering those stories. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the first one I might have written around um, it's actually probably around 2018 or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, that was one of the other stories in the collection. So I guess, yeah, I guess between then and whenever I submitted this collection to transit lounge transit lounge publishing which is probably mm -hmm. a couple of years ago now i guess mm -hmm. yeah so it's probably you know a few years i was probably you know i didn't didn't have a lot of time in which to to write so short stories i think probably good good in that regard if you're trying to write a, a novel or something longer it's um you want to kind of, it's hard to kind of keep up that continuity when you've only got bits and pieces of time yeah uh, to work in so um, yeah, I thought. Yes, I think I think had I been trying to write something else, it would have been a bit more difficult. So, mm -hmm. but yeah, it takes. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't I couldn't kind of quantify how long it takes to write a story because often you know you start writing something, you write a few lines, and uh, or you write down an idea, and then it might not be for you know uh, months or even years later that you come back to it, um, and it's kind of ready to. You, you feel um, that you can finish it. Tell me in terms of editing, so I guess, you know, editorial support in this case from Transit Lounge, how does the editing differ? Because I know you've written a couple of novels as well. How does the editing differ for short stories to novels? Is that more difficult? Do you think there's less help, more help, or are there particular editors who are very good at helping you, you know, slice and dice? Yeah. What needs to happen? Yeah, I mean, it was the same um, 
uh, or the last, the editor for this one was Kate Goldsworthy, who uh, mm-hmm. I, I think has, you know, has extensive experience across various uh, genres of writing and, mm-hmm. you know, novels, short stories and other things. So, you know, I think really it's, I mean, it's probably not not that different um, from editing a short story collection to a novel. But uh, I, I suppose it is in the sense that with each story you've got to kind of, um, you know, you, you don't have that sense of continuity, I guess, from the from the, the start. So you've got to yeah. enter into a new kind of uh, kind of fictional world or landscape, and you know that the style might change or the mm-hmm. the voice or whatever. So I, I guess there are those kinds of those considerations. You know, they have to kind of treat each story on its own on its own merits. But um, really, I you know, it's not. I wouldn't say there are ra- radical uh, shifts of of uh, voice or style from one story to the next in this in this collection. So mm-hmm. I think the the yeah I think the editing. I mean, and and the other thing is, um, Kate was very. I think she's sort of focused more on I guess on the on the mechanics. She didn't really sort of say you know you've got to you know rewrite this mm. anything extensively mm-hmm. in the previous the previous collection was it was a different editor and um she was a bit more um probably focused a bit more on certain stories where she thought you know you've got to rewrite the whole this whole ending and you know uh, things like that and mm-hmm. definitely that certainly Im- improved them i'm glad i'm glad she did mm-hmm. um i think um maybe kate was a bit more hands-off in that in that regard but certainly, yes, you know the, the the final product after going through that editing process is it's uh, it's so much better. <laughs> yes, they are uh, worth their weight in gold, aren't they? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yes, yes. I think it's good. You know, as long as you have someone who can you sort of understand what what you're what you're trying to do. Yes, I mean, true. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously that's a, that's a really difficult. Um, I think that yeah, I imagine. I mean, I haven't. I've done a bit of editing, not of, mm-hmm. but certainly not of fiction. Um, mm-hmm. But to kind of yeah, have a real sense of what it is the uh, the writer is is trying to do, and um, and often you know there are times when the editor may, may yeah kind of not kind of miss the point, and uh, but you know it's definitely a it's a definitely a two way process, and mm-hmm. you know and mm-hmm. certainly. Um, you have uh, i've certainly been given plenty of room to you know for back and forth and to to respond to anything or to question anything i an edit i didn't think was quite right yeah yeah i think it's just as far as, far as short stories go it's um i guess it's harder in that respect and um because you're you know you're kind of starting a new more or less with each story yeah yeah begin again mm. your least or most favourite character to write? Can you remember in this selection, in the terrible event, or which story um, and which character? I I quite enjoyed. Um, well, actually, the the last story in the collection, which is called the Enigma of Keith, um, and that's got subtitled Another Memorial. So the story mm. is the collection is framed by there's a memorial at the beginning and there's a memorial at the end, but they're both quite different. Right. Um, so that final story is about a, a an academic who's engaged in this, this research project uh, 
to do with roadside memorials. Um, mm. I think I quite enjoyed write, writing that character and having a bit of a swipe, I suppose, at uh, yeah. you know, academia and, and um, so forth. I mean, I'm not an academic myself, but I, my wife's an academic and I work in a, at a university and yeah. uh, so I've become quite familiar with familiar. the <laughs> ins and outs of, uh, yeah. you know, of academia. But... Mm-hmm. Um, so that was quite a good one. I enjoyed the uh, the second story in the collection. It's called the Pistachirio. It's about the couple of, uh, as you mentioned in the in the blurb about these uh, these activists. I, I quite enjoyed writing those those two characters, probably because I hadn't ri- written about characters like that before. So mm. it was interesting to um, to imagine these. You know, I mean, they're quite exaggerated portraits as. Probably that a lot of the stories that are in a, there are in a lot of the stories, you know, mm. they're quite um, they're not exactly you know uh, deep kind of psychological investigations into into character right. that way. They're more yes, uh, you know, I wouldn't say flat characters, but <laughs> some of them are quite cartoonish, I guess. Uh huh. And that brings us on to research because, uh, and thank you for you know giving us some information. We always ask our authors if they can give us a little bit of detail. And one thing we asked is about how much research is involved in your writing and you mentioned that doesn't call for a lot necessarily but yeah tell us about that yeah i mean i wouldn't say i do a lot then certainly none of the things i've written are what you call written research heavy i mean and again it depends on the nature of the what you're writing but i find Mm -hmm. too much research can can be potentially um damaging not or damaging or kind of we can spoil a piece of, of fiction, I think, mm, um, if you mm. kind of get become too focused on putting all of this, you know, get, getting all of this research done and then trying to incorporate it. Um, I, yes. I like to rely mainly on the imagination. The research is more, for me, is just to get some, you know, just to have some concrete details to give the story, a, I guess, a, a greater sense of... of um, I wouldn't say realism because m- most of the stories are about, you know, I mean, they're fairly outlandish or fanciful or whatever whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it um ridiculous things happening but i think if you are going to write about you, you are going to have those sorts of things happening you it's important to get the the little concrete details um right i think that work that makes it work better um mm-hmm. if it's grounded in some kind of sense of reality so yeah you know the one, the last that last story, the Enigma of Keith, which is possibly the longest story. I guess it's maybe more of a novella. Um, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of that is to do with, well, as I say, uh, roadside memorial. So I, I kind of looked into that a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, and actually, there is a fair bit of, um, I guess, scholarly literature research about about that. But also, just you know, I read a lot of uh, newspaper articles and. Sort of gov- government uh, documents and uh, things like that um, to do with to do with um, you know regulations concerning you know erecting roadside memorials mm-hmm. um, because it was that was going to be some I was actually going to be I was going to try to write something longer like a novel which is all about that subject I think in the process of reading various scholarly um, journal articles I. Um, I thought it might be more interesting or, or funnier to write about 
someone who's actually working on a research research project to produce one of those articles. Yeah. Uh, I, I thought it just sort of went yeah. in that direction. So it's more of a, yeah. I think it's something that was more suited to a short story than a than a whole novel. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, just just things like that, you know, just to give it that sense of yeah, that it, it is actually ground, grounded in in some kind of reality, despite mm-hmm. what it, what it might happen in the story. Mm. Yeah, I have great admiration for those historical fiction writers who spend hours scanning Trove and all those uh, uh, fairly extensive uh, databases. But I write fantasy and science fiction, so fantasy is a lot easier because you make all of it up, but science fiction a little bit the same. You have to have the odd thing that makes it almost possible so that you can ground it a little bit. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly research now is it's made a lot easier by mm-hmm. <laughs> by the internet. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I'd, I'd, all of our encyclopedias would be well and truly thumbed to death, wouldn't they, if we had to rely still mm. on those? David, you have, of course, written novels. So you've written The Fear of Tennis was in 2007 and Disappearing of the Face of the Earth uh, with Transit Land in 2017. Tell us a little bit about why the switch or was mm. it always the fear of tennis was that the first one that just said yeah i'm longer than a short story don't cut me off david i need more time yeah i think it was i mean i've been writing short stories a lot of short stories prior to that and trying to publish a collection of short stories mm-hmm. um which i could never seem to do and i think i mean that's partly as i said the uh there's not that many publishers willing to consider a short story collection by a you know an unknown writer mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um and also i don't think the short stories i don't think they were quite up to you know up to the high enough standard really um mm-hmm. i mean at the time i thought they were but yeah. you know in retro- retrospect now looking back you go yeah, yeah okay yeah. <laughs> put that in the back of drawer being a little bit uh ambitious there but, yeah. but so i think i i thought i've got to write a novel just so i can get a something published mm-hmm. um and uh yeah i had many attempt made many attempts at writing one and would often um you know ab- abandon those attempts so this that was the first one that i actually finished and um it was um yeah i mean again when i, re- I read it now i kind of i, I cringe at a, at a lot of it but um you know, I don't know. Got, I th- it uh, sounds good <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean it's um the, it, actually, I submitted it to the the Varuna Manuscript Development Prize or, right, or program yep. w- way mm-hmm. back in like, whenever it was. I must have been around two thousand and one or something, um, and it got into that program. So I got to work with an editor f- at um, uh, HarperCollins to polish it up and so on, and mm-hmm. and then it would, was considered for publication by by that publisher who ultimately passed on it but um and after that i i I must have submitted it to every practically every publisher in australia yes Um, as you do uh, yeah (laughs) and finally that the um the publisher black pepper in melbourne a very Mm -hmm. very small independent publisher Mm -hmm. accepted it and um so that was yeah that was the, the first actual book book that i'd had published so i was mm-hmm. i was pretty chuffed but really I, yeah what i really wanted to, to do um all along was publish a short story collection yeah um, but then so i kept you know continued writing short stories but then yeah then, 
and ultimately had I think I, yeah I, and then I had another collection which became the hunter and other stories of Ben but I I tried again with various publishers with that one mm-hmm. it had some success with the um, the Dorothy Hewitt Prize um, mm-hmm. that's UWA Press um, it was shortlisted to that but again they uh, didn't uh, ultimately select it for publication so mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I think yeah, so in the meantime, I started at that another novel, uh, which became disappearing off the oh, face of the yeah, earth, and then I submitted yeah. that to Transit Lounge, um, who very, to my considerable surprise and <laughs> and uh, yeah, re- relief in a way that, that they um, agreed to to publish that. So I think it was on the strength of having those two, or at least that that second one with Transit Lounge, that they were yeah. willing to look at uh, a collection. Of the short stories, yeah. 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 Do you think that is still where your love lies in the short stories rather than the the novels? Um, probably. Although I'm now trying, I'm now working on another another novel. I think you know, just because I feel that I just would like to write something longer mm-hmm. uh, and to have that. St- it's just the sense of continuity and when writing rather than having to you know, kind of start again every time yeah. <laughs> with a, with a with new, new story. Kid. Yeah, yeah. And, and just because I think, you know, I guess some, it comes down also to the idea, idea that you have and whether it's something that is going to be viable for whether it's going to work in that ex- extended form, I guess most of my most of my ideas are certainly just short short story ideas. They're not mm-hmm. um, they're not really ideas that are going to work over the length of a of a novel. But the thing I'm working on now is more, I believe, could extend to a to a novel. Uh, I, I, and I think just you know um, perhaps you know more people are going to read it because <laughs> <laughs> if it's a novel, you know, yes, you know, yeah, ironically yeah. in a way because. You know, our attention spans are shrinking, and yes. and yet people still prefer people who read fiction still prefer novels over short stories. Mm. Yeah, I must admit that I will dip in and out of some short stories, but it also means that I don't always get to the end. Like if there's an anthology, and I think, oh, I must get back to those. But I, you know, as I've just mentioned, you know, being a fantasy and sci-fi writer, I like a nice big brick book yeah. that I yes. can really get into. <laughs> yeah, well, that's right, and that's something that. Yes, yeah. it's definite uh, a definite um, advantage or pleasure that novels uh, afford that um, that short stories don't you know, mm. not in, that, in the same mm. way. Yeah, it can often give me a sense of oh, I really like this writer's voice. I want to read more of them. I remember I think with N.K. Jemison, who's a I'm not sure if you know, she is a uh, American. Uh, fantasy and science fiction author and I first read a couple of her short stories I thought oh I really like this and then of course I've gone on to read her whole entire catalogue being as obsessive as I am so it's a good thing it could be an introduction you know to have a little read yeah yeah, this could be good Uh, and away you go yeah yeah definitely Um, yeah yeah, there you know there are authors who are really uh, excel in in both forms and um um, Which is not hardly fair, is it really? No. <laughs> I mean, I must say, like, for example, Peter Carey, I'd much prefer to yeah. read his short, short fiction than his, his novels. Um, mm. And there are, yes, there are others, yes, other yeah. people whose novels, you know, you end up 
preferring to their, yes, their short, short their stuff. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, very good. All right. What is the theme of this book that you're working on? Can you give us any hints without any spoilers? The one that you're well, got the draft of. <laughs> well, I guess it's um, somewhat in, inspired by the um, kind of rent rental, ah. so-called rental crisis. Mm. <laughs> um, so it's it's going to be well, at least partly about um, someone uh, a, a, a renter. Uh, it'll be probably in a similar vein to some of the short stories in in this collection and, and mm-hmm. also disappearing off the, off the face of the earth, which takes place m- mostly in inside a, a self-storage facility. So, <laughs> so um, <laughs> this is going to have, I guess, some e- echoes of that uh, yeah. too. But um, yes, it'll be in a similarly um, sort of uh, comic uh, yes. vein, I guess you could say. Not, yep, you know, yep. this, this collection is... It's sort of, uh, you know, described as being very, very funny and everything. And some people think it's funny. Other people don't find it funny at all. So mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind of tra- tragicomic, perhaps. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. David, a lot of your books have got this, uh, you know, absurd or weird or all these kind of things in describing them. When you look at people, like if you're people watching, because I know a lot of writers do that, or you, you're looking at situations, are you saying, I could do something weird to that person? Yeah, sometimes. Um <laughs> Sometimes, yes, or sometimes, yes, I'll just find myself in a particular situation and just kind of step outside of it and <laughs> kind of think uh, uh, this is this this is you know quite quite ridiculous, and if yes. you wrote about it, it would be yes you know, it, it would sound uh, so absurd, kind of like utopia like with the um you know having worked in government departments, some of that's just mm. not funny because it's just so. <laughs> Tragically true. Too close to the yeah, close <laughs> to the truth. Yeah. yeah, but you're right. You know, if you write about it, people go, "Oh, that could never happen." Uh huh. Yeah. Just watch this space. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. So be careful, yeah. people. If you're meeting David Cohen, if he's out doing any book signings, just uh, you know, beware. He might put you in a uh, an interesting, absurd situation. <laughs> Yes. But at least you're not a thriller writer and you won't murder somebody off. But that's you know that's another hand of there. So you could because yeah, there's all of those things in this book. Many, many. Yes, I would. Oh, yes, I will say that none of the yes, none of the characters are really based on anyone <laughs> Anybody specifically. But, um, oh, that's good. You know. <laughs> yes, put that um, uh, put that at the start of the book. David, yes. are you out and about uh, with your book? I'm um, well, at the moment. I I don't have any uh, events, uh, mm-hmm. terrible or otherwise, uh, lined up. But I have some. <laughs> I guess some other radio interviews and. Uh, the book has been getting quite a bit of coverage in the media coverage, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, a lot of the various book websites and blogs, like mm-hmm. like yours, and um, and um, also some of the you know in the, the in the mainstream media, which is which is good. I, I hope that continues. Yeah. Um, but um, I'd like to say that I, I I I am the only thing I can mention at the moment. It's not until November is the um, Australian Short Story Festival that I mentioned earlier. Yeah. I'll be appearing at that. That's in Adelaide in, in yeah, November. Fantastic. Um, 9th to the 12th, I think. 9th to the 12th. I have to send Darren over there. My mm. co-host is in, in Adelaide in Ghana country. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I'm not sure if he knows about that one yet, so that's good. Yeah. 
we have to say thank you to yourself and to Transit Lounge for giving us a copy of the terrible event. And it went to uh, one of our book list subscribers. And just give me a minute. I'm just going to find the story that she shared because I asked if people could, in order to you know uh, to get to get the book to actually share with me one of their terrible stories. And this was just well, it was hilarious. But anyway. This is the story. I won't say who it's from, but um, this this is the story that came up in somebody's Facebook memory feed. Today at my skincare consultation makeup session, I was introduced to a new makeup artist. Despite her jet black hair, she was nudging 70 years of age, as she told me, and yet whilst her heavily wrinkled hands and neck confirmed that she was not only nudging it, but probably disnumerate as well, her face was as smooth and shiny as porcelain. Nothing to do with the numerous products she was trying to flog me, though. The surgeon's knife had produced a facelift of such ascendancy, her eyebrows were where one would ordinarily expect her hairline to be, and her brows were augmented by a tattoo artist in a manner which gave her a permanently surprised appearance. Indeed, her whole appearance was permanent, as heavy use of Botox had rendered her face frozen with the only moving part, the, in capital letters, the most enormous pair of lips, full of villas a la Marilyn Manson, which transfixed me as she had coated them liberally with fluoro pink lipstick and gloss, leaving me in mind of a trout on acid. The combined effect made Ronald McDonald look conservatively tame. Needless to say, I spent the entire appointment fearful as to my resulting maquillage, hardly the relaxing and fun time I had expected, LOL. So <laughs> obviously uh, the winner. So how could I go past that, of course? So, um, so she got a copy of your book. So there you go. Ah, excellent. <laughs> that, that, that was a pretty terrible event. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah, indeed it was. On that, David, where can people find the terrible event? Well, most uh, most uh, good bookshops are selling it. Um, here in, well, in Melbourne, I know, you know, all the, the readings, mm-hmm. bookshops will stock it and um, Dimmick's, um, where else in Melbourne, uh, Hill of Content and paperback books but most mm-hmm. most bookstores and you know you can find it online you know through the usual online retailers of mm-hmm. amazon and so on mm-hmm. and or mm-hmm. directly through transit Lounge publishing you can yep. you can purchase it there lovely yeah. and where do we find you online because you're not a big social media user but where can we find you if we're looking no i have a um a a, a, a website it's a it's a pretty rudimentary one though, but it's um it's just david philip Cohen with two L's, Philip mm-hmm. with two L's. Uh, dot com. Uh, that's that's has some information about my my books and uh, uh, other bits and pieces. So that's still it's a work in progress, but it, it's there. Yeah. yeah. And any final words for potential readers of the terrible event or any of your other books, of course, because you've got quite a lot of short stories and a couple of novels out there. So, what final words do you have for our listeners? Uh, well, I, I hope you can get hold of a copy of the terrible event. And I hope if you do that, you you enjoy the stories. And if you enjoy the stories, please um, take a look at the, uh, the the previous collection called called the Hunter, because I think if mm. you like the terrible event, you you should like the Hunter as well. Very good. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much to David Cohen, author of the Terrible Event, a series of stories which cover a whole range of. What do we say? Uh, Death, destruction, disappearance, decline and defeat. Something for everyone. (laughs) No, those are excellent. All right. Thanks very much for talking with us, David. Take care. Thanks. 
Thanks, Veronica. So thank you, David. Lots to think about in that. And I really like his words about the short story form where what you leave out is as important as what you live in um, and you know the terrible event being everyday horrors I think people being able to write horror stories from the everyday is fantastic and then of course writing is derivative you know basically everything that you experience and read and decide and all of those kind of things it contributes to the way you spin your own stories would you agree? Yeah, I think I'd agree. And, and uh, first of all, David, thank you so much for being on the show, being a part of the podcast, and for having such a you know such a beautiful chat with Veronica. That was amazing. And I do love daily horror. Who doesn't love daily horror? <laughs> <laughs> I'd like daily horror. No, I'm, uh, I'm a sci-fi guy as well. But no, um, yeah. yeah, no, I think I think absolutely. Um, it's kind of inevitable, isn't it? Uh, any just in just yeah. the same way as. You know, I'd, I'd hate to hear, you know, there's not many musicians out there that are going to be able to pick up an instrument and play something beautiful that have never listened to anything at all. Um, mm. And that likewise, I'd hate to read a book by someone who's never read a book. And uh, once you start yeah. reading, or then those those stories become a part of you, aren't they? I mean, effectively, that's yeah. what it is. The stories we read help make us who we are. Indeed, I, I feel like they are seeds. Every book that you read is a seed that you plant and you have to nourish it. You have to put more seeds. You have to give it some sunshine and, you know, give it some water and stir the soil up and, you know, mix and match. And all of those things contribute to who you are. And while you don't, you know, drop your personality onto um, a particular character necessarily, I think, you know, when you associate a character and a story, you can feel the threads and draw that kind of, you know, knit together uh, all of the parts of what they are. So, yeah, I think we cannot help but be derivative. And I think that's okay. I know some people will say they don't want to read thrillers while they're writing a thriller. And yet there are tropes that exist in particular genres, which a lot of readers like, you can turn the trope on its head, you can twist it, you can make it a little bit different or interpret it in your own way. Yeah, that's right. But there are some things that are kind of, I won't say standard, but, but yeah, they're a trope. You know, there's there's a whodunit, either you hear up front or you don't hear till the end and, you know, all the little clues and red herrings through a thriller and, hmm. Not only that, I mean, depending on what sort of genre you're writing, but, yeah, if you are working on a piece that is going to involve tropes, um, it doesn't necessarily have to, but let's say it is, then you know you could do worse things than if you you know rather than physically go out of your way to avoid reading if you like mm. that genre and reading something why not see what the you know what some of the best selling authors are doing or or one of your you know mm. a story that's grabbing you what grabs you about it and then outdo that trope outdo the way that they use the trope you know um, or mm. take mm. a little bit not only that it's you know as you were talking I was just thinking like as far as you know do we you know to what degree are our stories as authors, you know, how many parts may have been inspired by or have remnants of stories that we've read. Mm, mm. I think reading a story, you know, ever since we were kids and growing up, all those stories we've read, they're kind of memories of events just like our real life events. 
in, yeah, in, well, in sense of the memories this making us who we are and and so when we draw back on memories to write um i sure there is technically a division between what really happened and what we may have imagined but at the same time we've lived so many other memories you know that's the power of books isn't it you know um and some of those th- those things that we can have memories of a life we didn't leave let sorry a life we didn't live and we can draw upon those memories to help us create you know new stories that don't exist anyway so it's a, indeed that's yeah, a beautiful almost thing thought you were, it is a beautiful thing and i almost thought you were going to get cater get the word in that random image that we talked about but no you didn't quite go there but that's all right <laughs> i'm really happy that uh yeah yeah thinking about those and yeah it's exactly right and what i also love is that sometimes it then gives you a language to it just helps with the relationship sometimes if you know you can be talking about uh, books or you know we talk about 1999 or you know whatever events and those kind of things and sometimes if you bond with somebody over a book you read as a child or last week or is on your to be read pile it gives you just yeah that kind of shared memory and so that creates a good thing yeah 100 percent yeah, so there we go. Dave, thank you for amazing food for thought. Or should we say words for thought? Yeah, words, words for thought, indeed. Yeah. Indeed, 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 yeah. And I, I do like also how some people are able to, you know, David in particular, has, you know, makes the everyday memorable, which is brilliant. And also just in my mind is uh, thinking about putting the, the tropes on its head. And I've read um, not that long ago um, The Machine Dynasty by Madeline Ashby and that was just just yeah amazing and I was doing it as a little bit of research for my uh, own book I guess uh, Animoid which you, people have heard me talk about I have finished the first draft you'll be pleased to know uh, it's just over I think it's about 90,000 90, words but I was looking for things that would I guess be derivative but to, to give me some ideas of how people had treated uh I've used uh, bioengineered Australian animals and people, but in uh, the machine dynasty, there what happens is the you know I just call them cyborgs, but just for you know robots for ease, but they then basically rebel and and get their own sentience. So it's, it was about AI and all that kind of thing, and just how the world might look from a different point of view. And some people have the most amazing, quirky, weird where the hell did you get that from idea of how the world works that you think oh yeah that's just so clever i just love it and but then you never yeah. know what world they've drawn on for those stories exactly so you know what what did madeline ashby read that <laughs> gave her those ideas i think that's fantastic yes so yeah uh, mixed uh, organic synthetic families and yeah anyway, it was really good and i liked it yeah, and i also like the, that, that idea that concept of the everyday the little things that apparently don't have any particular intrinsic value shall we say they're not cinematic in any way Um, but they can actually be the real horrors they can be the real challenges Mm. they can be the real adventure you know something like a flat battery is something we all experience but that could turn into something crazy it's it's the just a little that that, the, the everyday life if it just takes that one little weird moment where it pivots just slightly 
and yep. um, you know the day can turn so very challenging or so adventurous or so you know uh, wondrous or, or so horrific and uh, but it can start from the smallest thing and uh, you know it's, it's then it becomes almost like a uh, not a house of cards but like a very fragile um, eggshell upon eggshells is the daily reality and that's where I find Indeed. And, and by putting yeah. a little spotlight every now and then to it it can really enhance um, the day-to-day life and maybe make us a little bit more anxious about it too until yeah. we settle back into a, a moment you know that that sort of uh, contentment and uh, feeling of safety yeah so you know I, I dare people to read the terrible event and read about the uh at the customer service rep who's become obsessed with a colleague who's worked from home for so long, nobody in the company remembers her. So, you know, hmm. it, it could happen, people. <laughs> it could happen. <laughs> so, yeah, thank you, David. Uh, you've uh, created a, a fabulous discussion. Really appreciate it. And what's next, Erin? Well, the, the, it comes down to our quotes and uh, the terrible event. The concept of that book is... The, uh, the source of, well, not the source of, but the inspiration of my quote yeah. for this episode. Yes. Okay, what have you got for us? Oh, well, I've got one. I actually did a little bit of research for this one. Mm-hmm. This quote is by George Eliot, mm-hmm. who, um, who was actually Mary Ann Evans. Yes. Uh, George Eliot was, of course, yeah. her pen name, and Mary Ann Evans was an English novelist, poet, journalist, translator, and apparently one of the leading writers of the Victorian era. But I thought this quote was really cool. A little bit to unwrap, um, mm-hmm. but thinking about that that concept of the terrible event and, and uh, pulling apart the threads of daily uh, existence. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, yeah, I guess this is more of a reflection or a meditation. But the growing good of the world is partly dependent on unhistorical acts, and that things are not so ill with you and me as they might have been is half owing to the number who lived faithfully a hidden life and those who rest in unvisited tombs. And uh, Mm. that was by George Eliot, a.k.a. Mary Ann Evans. I do like that. Very Mm. good. Very good. Okay, I'm going to give you a short quote from Charles Curalt. And he was an American TV newspaper and radio journalist and author. Uh, And he was, he apparently used to do on-the-road segments on uh, an American uh, news show. But... This is what I like this quote. I believe that writing is derivative. I think good writing comes from good reading. Couldn't agree more. No, simple to the point. Plain and, plain uh, and simple. Indeed. Undisputable, really. Yeah, yeah. You put, yeah. yeah. So there are our quotes. And don't forget, if you love the show, you feel welcome to support us. We're really happy to take any support or stars or share, any of those kind of things. And don't forget, you'll find us on social media. It's a little bit hit and miss at the moment, but we're on YouTube. We're on LinkedIn. We're on Instagram and threads. And we're on Twitter Uh, not to be named by that other name uh, as well and you can find uh, links to the podcast there if you're authors be it short story be it poetry be it novels you are welcome to put your book on the website for free Uh, in terms of podcasts we are a little bit uh, chockers with people who would love to be on the podcast but if you want to uh, send us a cameo so there will be this little cameo and some book reviews beginning and end of the show so all of those there Uh, so there you go we are at australianbooklovers.com and you'll find all the, the links there and please support Aussie authors and remember Christmas is coming so books 
We've also got Australian merchandise, Australian <laughs> books merchandise. <laughs> I just happen to be wearing my fabulous uh, sci-fi author T-shirt today, which has a kookaburra with dragon wings, who is one of my favourites, thanks to Steve, our fabulous designer, and Cassie, who uh, puts his design into our beautiful little logos. So everything under the sun, T-shirts, hats, tablecloths, shower curtains, cushions, whatever you like, water bottles, coffee mugs. Yeah, you can uh, do that and we will get uh, a small little stipend from that as well. So, yes, Christmas is coming, people. Uh, Get yourselves, uh, put your list of books that you want and share it with your family. Tell them these are the ones you want to read and put it out there. Yeah, and of course, why not just jump onto the uh, website and just maybe... uh Pick two books from every genre and just oh, uh, be good, whether you do it, yeah. whether you do digital, whether you get hard copy. <laughs> uh, that way, you can uh, if, you, if you look at the titles and then you've got one to give to somebody, one to keep for yourself, maybe mm. keep them all for yourself, and then still tell everyone you want books for Christmas, and then you get lots <laughs> more books, and then uh, yeah, no, it's all mm. it's good. But uh, thank you everyone for joining us for episode ninety nine. The next one will be a little bit of a special edition, of course, because it is going to be episode one hundred. So I will not be taking any magic mushrooms for that one. Good. Uh, I, I, there will be champagne, <laughs> um, I think, or maybe a, 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 a vodka. But we have to think about a tagline for this episode. Indeed, indeed. Hmm. We could be maybe, I don't know, shop owners uh, behind the counter. We're actual, you know, we look like just normal shop owners who make sandwiches and uh, make coffee, but we've got dead bodies in the back. That's a thought. Yeah, so maybe okay. we uh and we uh well maybe that we've got a customer in the shop who well we need to let to know to remember to read Ozzy's books, but might also maybe matches the uh, description of or should I say the the uh the style of victim that we like. So we're gonna oh. be we're gonna be friendly but uh we're also one of us gonna t- go and put the clothes on on the door. <laughs> Veronica, did you want to put the sign on the door? And, uh, yeah, look, I've just got yeah. a couple of specials that um, are in the back room. Uh, so why don't you come on through and just as we're doing that, uh, just get you to remember. Yeah, yeah, look, just uh, remember as you're walking out here, just remember it's nice and easy to read, read more, more Aussie books. books. Don't, don't mind worry. The slippery bits and pieces on the floor. Yeah, just look, look up. Just look that, up a bit. That light's a bit dodgy. We're yeah. going to get it fixed. Yeah. Just yeah. Go, yeah, keep on going. In you go. In you yeah. go. There you go. All right. Ting, 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 ting. The door's <laughs> shut and business is closed. Mm. Meanwhile, everyone's walking past the windows on the way to their train, tram, and bus. <sighs> yeah. And it's only a Monday. Yeah. <laughs> well, in that scenario. <laughs> Oh, actually, it's only a Monday today, too, as we're recording it. There we go. Synchronicity. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. Take yes. care. Thanks to our, all of our listeners and subscribers and readers and authors. Bye for now. Hello, everyone. This is Hayley Walsh, author of Lighthearted Fiction and host of the Right Words podcast, But today, I am here to bring you my review of One Summer in Santorini by romance author Sandy Barker. This book is book number one in the holiday romance series, and there are five books to enjoy in this wonderful series. 
Now, Greece has long been the number one destination on my bucket list, but alas, I am yet to go there. And I just knew I had to read this book. Remember Shirley Valentine? She had fun, right? And if, like me, you're an old fart and remember the film, the most fun she had takes place on a boat. Now, in this story, we meet Sarah. She is done with men and books a trip around the Greek islands, accompanied by a group of total strangers. Now, the last thing she wants is any drama, especially the male-inflicted type. But when she meets younger, sexy American Josh on the pier, sparks fly. Sarah discovers Josh will also be joining her on the voyage. During the trip, she also meets a handsome silver fox who promises to make all her dreams come true and sweeps her off her feet. Sarah was trying to stay clear of men, and now she has two, both competing for her affection. Will Sarah embark on a holiday romance with one of these men, or stick to her plan of avoiding men altogether? There is a cast of diverse characters who join her on the trip. The descriptions of the Greek islands and all they have to offer are fantastic. It made me want to explore the hidden alleys of local shops, taste the food, drink the wine, and swim in the clear blue water. I wanted to meet the locals. I wanted to feel the Mediterranean sun on my face. I love this book. Sandy whisked me away to a place full of wonder, gorgeous scenery, great food, and most importantly, lots of romance. If you like a bit of drama and a bit of romance wrapped in a breathtaking destination, I recommend this book. And of course, I give it five stars. Let's meet again. Where magic happens. Australian Book Lovers acknowledges First Nations peoples and recognises their continuous connection to country, community and to culture. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and honour the sharing of traditional stories passed down through generations. We're committed to a safe and inclusive welcome for authors and readers of all cultures and backgrounds including people of LGBTQIA plus communities and their families.